This is Podkit, episode 29, What is on Your Face, on July 5th, 2017. And now, are you okay? This episode of Podkit is hosted by Brandon Johnson, Brian Mitchell, and Ryan Rampersad. This episode has show notes at thenexus.tv slash bk29 and was recorded on May 6th, 2017. But because Brandon is really awful at post-production, we're releasing it about a month later. Feel free to heckle me on Twitter as a result. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi. Happy Podkit. Happy Podkit. It's been a while. But not as long as uh, previous pause or previous breaks between episodes. So I yes. guess there's something there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, we do have a lot of kind of fun stuff to talk about today. And to start off, we have some follow-up. What? I don't know if I was on this follow up, so you'll have to, you'll have to. Uh, You're tell definitely me what it on is. email. Maybe it's. Oh, it might be to a different. It might be to a different account. Yeah, or... I never get I the follow up. You, you guys one, just need to take care e- of it. This was sent to us, not through the Nexus email, so it actually went to my inbox and not the spam account. That's good. Oh. So this is from Ian Buck. Sorry, Ian Arbuck. Hi, Ian Arbuck. Says, you guys are on point with the jokes in this episode. Every two weeks, I'm sure that's going to happen, winky face. You know it, Ian. So true. And then he goes on to say, if Apple wanted to do a USB Type-C iPhone, the iPhone 7 was an opportune time. If they make the switch with the iPhone 8, they're going to end up with a bunch of people who now have lightning headphones and no devices to plug them into. And then on a separate, separate thought, he says, I'm really interested in seeing the Snap Spectacles Seeing if the snap spectacles make wearing a camera on your face totally sociable, socially acceptable, that was one of the major things that got Google that got in Google Glass's way. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny you mentioned that too. So um, last week uh, or a couple weeks ago, um, un- unfortunately, uh, one of the reasons that delayed our recording of a couple shows was that I was uh, in Seattle, and Seattle kind of took me by surprise. Uh, in a lot of ways, because uh, A, I didn't fully realize that 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 conference was happening that week, and B, uh, because I'm bad at time management. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that happened in Seattle was I uh, met with a a former coworker of mine who, um, and and a really good friend of mine who moved up to Seattle recently, uh, and I brought the spectacles. So this is a person who uh, works in tech, uh, but had never tried out the spectacles and wanted to see what they're all about. So I just led into him for a couple days. And... um, uh, and he took him around town uh, and this is a person who's lived in Seattle for essentially six months and he was like yeah no I can't get used to wearing these I feel I feel like a bumblebee because you know they have this little <laughs> uh, yellow outlines on the side he's like I, I just can't get used to it I feel like I'm I feel like I'm a rude person by doing this uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I guess uh, that was kind of interesting to me because ultimately like my own my own experience with spectacles has been a little bit of that. Um, like nothing was more weird, uh, or no situation like that was more weird than when I was uh, leaving for work one day and I actually put the specs on before I left my apartment. Uh, and I ran into uh, the property manager for the building and and she was basically like, what is on your face? Are you okay? Are you like the, the are you being converted into like a cyber person or something like Doctor Who? Um, but uh, I, I not I, yet, I, not yet. No, that that part is later, uh, and not by Snap. I bet that'll be Facebook or Google or something. Not not Snap. Um, but uh, suffice it to say that that was that was kind of a weird situation for me. But um, it it wasn't necessarily negative because then I just hopped on my bike and uh, recorded my commute as I always do, which is which is really fun because certainly over the past couple of weeks, like Minneapolis has been really awesome uh, about like reflecting the sun in interesting and neat ways that really just like make me happy to commute by bike um which is really why i got those those specs uh so suffice it to say ian i don't think that this will really ever be normalized um because normalize 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 uh but that that's a different story uh suffice it to say that it's probably not going to be uh normal for some time yeah, I think there'll be little little spurts of things here and there until they eventually become more of a socially acceptable mainstream thing. This is true. 
This is very true. I mean, like, we don't see kids... We don't see the hashtag youths running around with these. Um, <laughs> because I think it's weird. I think it's weird uh, for people to be in situations that are not, like, particularly in those, like, innovation-y sorts of settings where, like, you're, you're like, at a conference with Robert Scoble and he's, like, on a Segway, <laughs> you know, Sounds running like around with those. Right? Exactly. Yep. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah, okay, so in, in that situation, it's totally culturally acceptable, uh, or, or um, not culturally acceptable, but, like, uh, um, situationally, sociologically acceptable to be somebody wearing weird stuff on your face that's recording things, or, like, I don't know, tweeting about your steps as you walk or something, right? Like, right. That, that's, because that's, like, the situation you're in with a bunch of other people that are doing a bunch of other kind of weird out-of-context stuff. Um, but, like, even at work sometimes, like, I, I don't wear my specs around work. Um, and, and, you know, there are three or four other people at work who have specs, uh, and almost everybody at the office has tried them. Um, but it's still just like not, it's just kind of not cool to bring a camera that's potentially always on, uh, yeah. in, into certain, into situations like that. It's just kind of weird. Yep. I totally agree. So that, that is all the opining I have about specs. But if you have, if you have questions or, uh, would like to try it out, I know Brian, I was going to give you the specs of JavaScript Minnesota, but I totally oh, yeah. forgot because I'm an idiot. Um, I forgot to. It's all how, good. However, next time we meet in person, uh, I will, I will have them for you. I actually unpaired them from my phone in preparation to giving them to you. And then I am an idiot and, and forgot to, forgot to do that. So, no so, problem. so we'll get there. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, do we have anything else from follow-up or is that that the majority of it there i think that was most of it you know on some shows follow-up goes for like an hour and a half that is true sometimes the follow-up is the show yep i I don't know what show to which you refer but Hmm. i'm told that there are shows i think it's like an accidental show maybe i don't know yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like they would do such a thing on purpose. <laughs> it's true. All right. So next on our our list here, um, what was it about? Roughly thirteen, fourteen hours ago, Tavis or Mandy is back with another uh, discovery. This yes. time, flame emojis. Are we getting to the point in the show where we're just reading tweets? <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad way to do it. That that is at times the show life cycle uh, pod, podcast. At certain points, you just kind of just you end up reading tweets for some part of it. Um, oh, so are we going to read the tweet? Maybe we should yeah. read the tweet. Let's read the tweet. All right. So he says, "I think at uh, Natasha Shenka and I just discovered the worst Windows remote code exec in recent memory. This is crazy bad. Report on the way. Fire! Fire! Fire!" And he replied to that saying, attack works against a default install, don't need to be on the same LAN, and it's wormable. Fire. Yeah, and a lot of people seem to have responded to this. People who are, um, well, you know, Swift on security. Um, I saw some other kind of prominent Charlie folks. Miller. Charlie Miller, Logan Atwood, um, folks who kind of know know what's up in, in that sort of field. Um so this this is going to be something else, and it's also kind of telling that he he tweeted at like uh, uh, nine fourteen p.m. Central Time, which is admittedly seven o'clock uh, his time, but seven o'clock on a Friday means that like, man, it, he's probably been working on it for the majority of uh, certainly the majority of the day. Um, it's like weird, weird, unpleasant stuff for sure. Um, it, it hasn't been a good week for for Windows as far as zero days go. There was another situation I recall. Um, or I guess that wasn't Windows, this is, uh, a lot of uh, computers, but uh, the Intel management engine, AM- oh, yeah. AME, is that what they call it? Yeah. The, um, that's, that is just like downright freaky to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think a consumer, I don't think consumer versions of management engine were, uh, were affected, but I think that um, on a lot of computers that were set up for um, what one might call like enterprise or corporate management. Yep. Um, those those were absolutely vulnerable and um, it's tricky. It's not cool and uh, it probably has already been uh, taken advantage of by by uh, unseemly folks. Unfortunately. Yeah. At work, um, my 
client, I guess, their laptop has IME engaged and is active. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they're patching that or yeah, something. For sure. for sure. Rip. Rest in peace. Windows. Goodbye. Adios. Windows S will take over, right? Oh my gosh! Are you sure? <laughs> oh, no. Are you sure you don't want to talk about Windows S? Well, we brought it up, so okay. if you are unaware, dear I listener, am unaware. I have I haven't heard of this, so I'm. I'm this is going to be good. Okay. Go Windows it. 10 S is so a version will... of Windows that has a smaller licensing fee, so your laptop or whatever your device can be cheaper. But it comes with the restriction that you can only install applications through the Windows Store. Now, you can basically buy Windows 10 Pro or Home or whatever next version it is for $50 to be able to install anything from anywhere. But they're basically putting a price on installing things from where you'd like to. That seems like a dangerous precedent to set. I mean, I, I, I get that like iOS does this because you can't really install software on iOS that isn't already uh, signed by by the Mac, uh, by or by 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 iTunes that isn't distributed through the uh, the App Store, uh, but I can kind of like see that because that's like part of a contract, right? That's almost like part of part and parcel of what iOS is. Whereas yeah. Windows Ten is like, uh, no, this is like a desktop operating system. Um, I, well, and I also just don't even get how that works because like, what what do people want to use Windows Ten apps for? Like. Uh, I don't know, building websites or building applications. Yep. Okay. Presumably, presumably well, you can't. You just can't do that because you can't get Visual Studio through the through the Windows Store, can you? Um. Well, here, here's here's the funny so, thing. So Windows 10s is um, sort of their solution to having a cheap enough Windows SKU to put on, like something like a netbook, uh-huh. right? And so because they can't charge a full hundred dollars, apparently. Um, right. Which is bizarre because you could, I guess. Um, and so they don't, I don't think they expect anybody to be using Visual Studio on a yeah. netbook. I think their their target market is uh, for Chrome OS. It, it's targeting education. education. Yeah. Yep. Now, what's funny about this whole thing is back in the good old days of Windows 8, when Windows 8 came out, they also introduced the Surface line. And so they had, you know, the Surface IT, Surface RT with Windows RT. And what that basically meant was that it could only run those special ARM-versioned apps from uh-huh. the store. And that was a hardware restriction because it just couldn't run regular apps. And the only apps that were compatible were the ones from the store that were cross-compiled. That right. was reasonable. This is not reasonable. Absolutely. I mean, like, they, they say that it's, like, targeted at education, but, like, something like Visual Studio, or even just Visual Studio Code... Yeah, it's VS like, Code, right? Yeah, that's what like, I thought of immediately. Like, give give me something free and easy so that I can teach people, um, that, that I can expose kids to computer science. Because, right. Because, like, like, it's ridiculous to have an operating system that's aimed at education that is, like by default prima facie like prevents folks from from being able to to explore to explore computers. this stuff well it's ridiculous i mean i get i get where they're going like districts don't want kids to actually use computers in that exploration kind of use um they yeah. just they just want it to be a dumb box with a utility use case um now as far as installing stuff you know i wonder i wonder if districts will you know somehow you know taken out to lunch and then the week after buy a truckload of windows something um with windows 10s on it and then you know discover five months later when they try to do standardized testing with pearson java applets that they can't yeah (laughs) um well i would imagine they would allow you know an enterprise deployment of applications to be installed and it's probably just for the users. I maybe. would imagine that you can install stuff through the store, but not yeah. anything custom. Hmm. Yep. Now I wonder if it's you know at like a binary level, are they requiring a certain um, code signing to be done, or are they just saying any like GUI installer application can't be run 
Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't I would know bet the it details. would be. I would bet it would be code signing. I don't yeah. know the details, but if yeah. like from from an architectural perspective, it seems like it would be a lot easier to just say we'll only we'll only accept applications that uh, are signed as coming from the Windows Store. If they don't, if they're not from the Windows Store, if they don't have that that um, that signature along with it. Um, it just won't able to be run on the machine. It's not even a question of installing it. It's just it won't run. Like the installer won't run, the code won't, the the binary won't run. Nothing will run. I'd like to try it. I'd like to see what happens. So I'm I'm, sure. I'm also reading this uh, article here on the Verge. So it says um, Windows 10 S devices will start coming out later this summer at $189, which is basically free, um, yep. and they will ship with a wonderful subscription to minecraft education edition <laughs> oh so that's how they'll quote unquote teach teach students about computer science because minecraft is exactly the same as actual i mean actual way you can work. you can make a transistor i mean it's fine yeah. um also here's a funny sentence windows 10s will also be free for all schools that currently are running windows 10 pro pcs <laughs> downgrade yeah downgrade woo right it's great oh my gosh I, it's just it's just so so microsofty in the way they're running this and i totally understand why so if they make a market for people for developers to make apps for because there is no market for windows 10 apps that just doesn't exist nobody cares right but if they make even an artificial market by forcing a large community to have only the ability to have apps from the store then people will actually start making them so they can cash in on it and until then, there won't be apps. But now there might be. But it's a sucky thing to do to people. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So, side story to that. Their their flagship device was also launched with this unveiling of Windows 10S. And it is a kind of MacBook Air-ish kind of like clone. Uh -huh. And it starts at $1,000. But it's crippled implicitly by having Windows 10S on it by default. Uh, well, I guess they're trying to, I don't know, save or make, they probably make more money on this somehow. I mean, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't I make guess, any yeah, sense. A lot of people wouldn't upgrade, but what, what are they thinking? There's nothing on the store. Exactly. You search for VLC and you get 200 apps that all have the traffic cone and are right. nothing. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't, it's not clear. It's it's misguided it's it's an attempt at making a community that doesn't exist yet so that that's great good try but that should be done through incentives and not by restrictions yeah, and they're basically they're they're pushing edge on you which is fine i think it's a decent browser nowadays yeah but it's i, I think the only things i've downloaded in the windows store are the facebook app and the twitter app just to try them out and neither are good. Now, this was years ago back in the windows 8.1 days but right it still seems a little mm -hmm. odd for sure like the analogy that i can't get out of my brain is uh have either of you guys seen battlestar galactica oh yeah no haven't okay sorry I brian but go for it there's this part in battlestar galactica where uh the captain the acting captain um uh enacts martial law essentially throughout the fleet so there's the the premise of battlestar galactica uh this is not a spoiler it it might feel like a spoiler but it's not a spoiler i i promise it it is spoiled in the first 30 seconds of the first episode so that's not a spoiler um <laughs> the and, and if you've ever heard anything about battlestar galactica you probably know that this happened uh basically the point is uh humanity is essentially exiled to a bunch of ships by these robots that humans created um, and the robots are kind of trying to uh, annihilate humanity, uh, which is fun. Uh, but suffice it to say, there's like uh, the, this captain enacts martial law throughout the fleet because of a bunch of stuff that's going on. And basically nobody likes martial law. And, the, and he's like, I don't get it. Like, I'm trying to enact, I'm, you know, I'm trying to bring some sense of stability to this crazy world we live in. And, and, uh, and, and nobody respects me. And it's like, yeah, that's right. Because like you basically you're basically like limiting people in order to create community instead of like empowering people to create their own communities which is like that's not like it's the same thing it's yep. a totally awful metaphor but it's the same same thing that was a really good parallel though thank you i i did, I did my best yeah that was good 
Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Like I so um, I don't know if I told you guys about this. This is a total tangent, but one day, so I've been casually rewatching Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. um, recently, and uh, uh, one episode I uh, wrote alongside of it this like ridiculous uh, fake blog post that was about like what Battlestar Galactica can teach you about application security and uh, how to visualize your threat model. Uh, which is like uh, it's it's a really awful blog post, but I love it. So it's one of those things that's gonna sit in my Markdown editor for like twenty years, and I'll look back on it, uh, assuming I don't delete it in the meantime, and and be like, oh, that was fun. Maybe I'll post it on Medium when Medium is only a site for uh, for joke blog posts, which is it's coming. It's not here yet, but it might be soon. Hot take. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. All right, next on the list. Next on the list. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the deal with Samsung? Yeah, what's going on? Um, so, Samsung. Uh, here's what happens to Samsung. You make a really good phone, and you know everybody's going to buy it. Because it has a unique design, because it has really good specs, because everybody is sad that they couldn't get their exploding phone, the Galaxy mm-hmm. Note 7. So you make this great phone, but then... What you do is you mess it up. You talk to all the carriers, and they convince you that you should sell your new phone only to carriers through carriers for at least two months before it goes unlocked. That's what Samsung hmm. did. I think Apple used to do that with the iPhone because there'd be it'd be out for a couple of months before they'd sell the fully unlocked version. Yeah, I find that to be ridiculous. At least without a carrier. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's absurd. Um, so. Uh, last month, when we recorded this uh, show previously, um, I talked about purchasing a Galaxy S8 or S8 Plus, and, well, I still haven't because they they don't exist yet on an yeah. unlocked basis, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so until then, I, I can't have it. Now, it should be available on the 9th, so, we'll, you know, that's in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably get the S8 Plus. So I have the Pixel here. So that's what this looks like. Um, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Pretty nice phone. Now, what's funny about the S8 Plus is that it's exactly the same size, except it's all screen. Ah. Uh, I need to. S- I have not seen an S8. I would like to check yours out when you get it. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, I mean, it's it's incredibly charming when you hold it and you actually start using it, like. The screen just doesn't exist, and there there are there's no frame around the screen. It's just so so different than what you normally see. And then when you of course put your Pixel or iPhone or any phone right next to it, it's look it looks ancient compared to it. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I am really hoping that um, some of that edge to edge screen stuff uh, makes it to the next iPhone. I'm probably this sounds ridiculous, but I'm probably am going to upgrade to the next iPhone when when it comes out but that's because i bought this one um at, at full price so i can do that no contracts woohoo, woohoo. Um, do you have the which which iphone do you have right now again i have the seven with uh the the space black uh yeah so hope and it's in pretty pristine condition because i've kept it in the case um, now is space black the glossy one it is the glossy one okay or sorry it's not space black it's jet black okay unless wait right yeah jet black is, is shiny yeah, it's jet black, which is the shiny one, and it is awesome. I love it. Um, but it, uh, but if if the next iPhone is uh, make some of those changes, is USB C uh, ed- that sort of edge to edge screen? Yeah, uh, I'm so there. I'm yep. immediately yep. so there. And, and I this think phone can still bring somebody else a lot of uh, useful life too. So. And I think if Apple doesn't pull off a radical change in how the iPhone looks, um. I mean, it's going to be a tough sell. I mean, most people, for some awful reason, still go to carrier stores, um, and they can yep. see the S8 highly promoted there in those stores. And when you look at an S8 and you look at an iPhone, there is no way to say that the iPhone looks weird compared to the S8. The S8 looks naturally new, Yep. and the iPhone does not now. Yep. yep. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Brandon. Um I'm debating buying a new one. But the thing is, I've never sold an old iPhone. I've kept them around. Not, my iPhone 4 doesn't work anymore, but uh-huh. my 5 and my 6 are fine. 
Yeah, so I've actually sold all of all of my iPhones. The only iPhone I have that, that remains is is my uh, 5S, and that's because I, I didn't sell that one to get this the 7. Um, I just kept it um, because I, I figured um, I, I started biking uh, when I around the time that I got my 5S. Uh, and I started biking in the rain, so I'm like, eh, there's probably significant water damage there. Don't really wanna, <laughs> don't really wanna find out how little that's worth. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it for myself. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat with you there. The I I, I totally get the trepidation to to sell those things back because it's like a, a a little bit of your own personal computing history as well as like the computing history of the world, which is kind of cool to to maintain that. Um, but I think because the seven, because I invested so much in the seven, and I'm, if I'm only going to use it for a year, I'm going to try to sell it. Yeah. Sell it first, lest I, uh, lest I could I probably lose that. get one of my parents to buy it. My dad has a five S, and my mom has a six. Mm-hmm, I mean, so. you can also, um, you know, kind of just go find somebody developing a React Native app and ask if they need an iPhone and sell <laughs> it to them. There we go. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I I do. Yeah. See, okay, so quick quick aside on that front. Um, do you all know of anyone who is not me who is building a React Native app in town? Um, no. Well, no. no. Well, actually, I have some friends, yes. Some friends are doing that. Not, not in town. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, uh, we have a client who I can't tell you who it is, but they're um, looking to make React Native apps because they have they have to target two platforms and they have to just do it. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. I, I totally I totally get that. Um, yeah, but it's kind of intriguing because I just I realized that I literally haven't heard of anyone else in town who's doing anything with React Native. Now, um, actually, at work, um, we're, uh, we're, we've been actually doing some VR projects with... Um, oh, yeah. With not React VR, but with A-Frame, yeah. which is a yeah. little bit more advanced. And um, wow, that's it's really cool. A-frame is pretty fun, yeah. Yeah, we should we should talk offline about this to the degree that you're yeah oh yeah uh, sure comfortable oh, yeah. yeah. Hi, hello, offline listeners. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so I think uh, unless we have any more to say about Samsung, um, uh, it's going to cost yeah. a fortune. I'll sure. I'll get it eventually, and then we'll be able to talk about a brand new phone and how great it is. Um, actually, speaking of the VR project. That team needs my pixel to do it. <laughs> so Boo. Boo. No, no, no. Make so, them your pixel. No, make them not buy g- their own. No, 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 no. They can use it. But now I have okay. a really good excuse to buy the phone that I totally don't need. I gotcha. All right. I guess that I can see how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. As, as somebody who's developing a React Native app, and uh, I, I have to say, like, Getting the Nexus 6P from 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 you, Ryan, yeah. is probably like the single best decision I ever made. Is that still working? Uh, Does it still exist? Oh my god, yeah. Okay, I, I use it. I use it almost daily. Yeah, because I've heard uh, a lot like, of people having a bad time with their 6Ps for some reason. I don't know. I, I have to say, like, it's this. It's probably the single best thing that I've done for developing on Android. Yeah, is having a physical device because there's it's totally irreplaceable with React Native. You can actually do live code reloading oh, yeah. to the device, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like, which is I mean, it's not necessarily unbelievable because clearly you can do that on iOS too. Right, but, it but it's awesome. it feels so much more productive. Right, like this, even in the simulator, where yep. ostensibly uh, in the Android emulator, where ostensibly you get the exact same benefits. No. Emulated Android is not the same. No, things will run differently in the emulator than it w- than they will on a hardware device, uh, and and you will be sad, like I like I was, and occasionally still am sad. Yep. Um. So just just for anyone who's who's out there in the in the world in the wi- wider internet, um, if you're doing Android development, get an Android device. I. It will revolutionize your workflow and your life, and uh, it will it will make all your wildest dreams come true. At least as it as it uh, as it pertains to Android development. I was showing one of our team leads uh, React Native, and um, you know I just just made a simple create React Native app, and yeah, you know it it just had an incrementer and a counter, you know, simple demo-y kind of stuff, and so I I had it hosted through the I don't know what the service is. What is it called? Expo. Yeah, Expo. Yeah, and so I had it, you know, hosted on the computer through Expo onto the, onto the phone, and I handed them the thing, and they they're clicking the counter, and it's like, oh, that's cool. But 
then I intentionally make an error on the on in the code and yep. it brings up that wonderful little, you know, red box. Red yeah. box. And then you can click on the phone in the red box and on the computer it will open that part of the code right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then when they saw that, that team lead said, "Hmm. Okay. I guess we found our next platform." Right? <laughs> Nice. See, yeah. React, React Native is totally killer, but I think the thing that a lot of teams don't understand sometimes is that you you really are building two applications. Yes, they still two don't understand with, that. I agree. With with two totally different, totally different, uh, two totally different platforms, two totally different sets of things you have to implement if you want to do any sort of native thing. Yep. Uh, occasionally, uh, I, I would say that for any project of a, of a certain a certain scope you will always need to implement something on the native side. Yeah. Whether that's for uh, a custom SDK that just doesn't have bindings for it yep. or uh, something that you just can't get to work in JavaScript land and need to access native APIs. Right. Either way, like you will at some point need to write native modules and they will need to be parallel across iOS and Android and they will you will need to do Java development, Objective-C development. Um, and one, But once you, once you make that realization and also the realization that you'll have different bugs that are going to be totally like not reproducible across platforms... So, like, you just need to have a full fleet of devices. You yep. need to have, uh, you need to have experience in both uh, Android development with Java and uh, iOS development with uh, the Cocoa APIs and Objective C or Swift. Um, once you get that, you're golden. Yeah. Um, and, and like, and I tried with, to with explain caveats, all of those things because you you've you talked to us about this before here on this <laughs> that's very true, that's show. True. And I've tried to explain those things to people uh, when they start. Oh wow, React Native. That sounds like the way to go. But but watch out because it's still two native apps. Yep. You can see a cat over. Well, you you could have seen it. It was over <laughs> here somewhere. I gotcha. Yep. 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 I I, I will always. Uh, I'm always willing to get up on my React Native soapbox because it's great. But it like you have to realize what it is. Yes, exactly. Ah. Uh, and 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 therefore as well what it is not. Maybe I'll use it at some point someday. It's one of those things that's on my list, but the uh, priority just, I guess, isn't there. I don't work on personal projects as much as I should. Oh, no, I totally don't blame you for that. Like, I'm at work, and I don't, I just don't feel the need to work on as much code these days at home. Yep. Yeah, I, like, the first personal side project I, I have done since I started full-time was, uh, the one that I shared in Slack, which is a little ridiculous. It's just a little natural language processing thing that's not even necessarily worth linking into the show notes. Um, But, like, the sociological and psychological benefits were kind of interesting um, because it was kind of cool to think about problems that are not the problems that I deal with at work uh, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Not that there's, you know, there's definitely significant variety in the problems I deal with at work, but it's, um, you know, often for for similar clients or the same client, um, and uh, it, it was inter- it was interesting to to kind of do development that was outside of that realm for a little while, but uh, yeah, that was like literally two hours, and I was like, "Huh, what's this about?" Uh, and then was like, "Okay, cool, I'm I'm done with this now, and I'm gonna go take a nap." <laughs> but other other than that, I uh, I haven't done essentially any development outside of work, um, which is kind of weird, kind of cool kind of uncool uh variously and i'm still trying to kind of process what that means and yeah I think yeah me too a lot of us are yeah, yeah I, I i i feel the same way like i do a little bit but like you know at home like i will attempt to tinker with something for like 40 minutes and then it's like okay gonna do something else gonna go walk the dog gonna go do something actually fun yeah it's it's kind of tricky when you're when you're working with code all day to go home and like also want to code i mean it, it like there, and, there's some part of it but it's, it's like weird. for the same amount of time it's not like you want to do like right. t- 16 straight hours of programming because well, sometimes that's what side projects demand and it's yeah. and it's weird because i totally do want to code something yeah um, but then it's like oh well man if i just did work stuff instead i'd be totally just further along tomorrow i could just do that and it's like should i do that no i probably shouldn't do that uh, someone I follow on Twitter, I don't remember who it was, a couple of years ago, tweeted about how they manage it by getting up two hours earlier, working on personal projects for two hours, and then going to work. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And yeah, that's that's really early. I'd be waking up at 4 a.m. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's a good idea, too, that if you prioritize 
your own projects before work, then you aren't so much getting burnt out by by your pro- by work for your projects. No, and, for you sure. know, hopefully your work isn't too impacted, but you're at least more mentally fresh when you want to be working on it. I also think working on a project with other people, so like CMS V3, which yeah. we always need to keep working on. <laughs> <laughs> I think meeting up with people is a good motivator for me because I it sets out a clear goal and you're, you know, working together and you want to keep going forward and yeah. Well, that people yeah. are a good motivator. That brings us on to our next topic, which is something here in the show notes that somebody should read. Yeah, and, and it's another kind of software process question. Uh, I, I don't think I put it here, but I can definitely read it. Uh, so it, it's one of the things that I think is really interesting to me personally is like how like team dynamics and rules change at, throughout the life cycle of a project. Um, so I'm kind of interested to hear... Uh, how you all feel about like um, what what you do on a team when maybe like uh, there's not like particular um, particular work to do that's like hardcore software development where you're right. actually writing code. What what is that? What is that like for you? Yep. Yeah, I, I put this in here just to kind of see how my 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 position works differently to mm-hmm. you guys, different companies and things. So, I mean, when I'm not doing hardcore development, I might be in, in a meeting or something. But I think um, some of it is just looking up documentation or discussing how we might want to do something in the app. Um, I think, Ryan, you put teaching mostly. Yeah. I don't do – I don't necessarily do a ton of that. Um, I might kind of discuss how I might do something, but not necessarily teaching. I think – the people in my team at least kind of understands the the technology stack and how things are working and kind of we all kind of understand it the same way so not so much that you know if there's something that i haven't done that maybe a coworker has i'll ask him or vice versa but um now at the same time we have bas on our team and so i think there's they're doing a lot of the work that some developers some places might be doing i know i get pulled in from uh, a product owner or something say hey can you send me some screenshots of this application for this certain event that we're doing or things like that you know they might they might come directly to the developer which i'm not sure how that plays into the the best way of doing things or not it's fine to me but so then i'm sometimes you know uh, i'm trying out some data manipulating it see what we have and sending it to their product owner. That's that's kind of what I'm doing, and that's that's not really development, but it's not not development. Yeah, I I, I totally totally get where you're coming from there. Yeah, it's it's like the distinction between like writing code and doing other development related tasks that aren't necessarily related to building and deploying applications for sure. Um, so for me, I I don't I don't know like uh, necessarily even the best way to characterize this, but when I'm I've been working on essentially the same couple projects for the past six months or so. Uh, I think I've been saying that probably for the past six months, so that might be close to a year. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, um, the the thing is, these projects are pretty large, pretty pretty um, diverse in, in the types of problems we need to solve and the, the teams that we're working with in order to pull this off. It's really, it's really kind of an interesting project from that perspective, but there still is some time... Uh, like tiny little blocks of time here and there where um we're waiting for mm-hmm. uh waiting for something to to be uh resolved or decided upon or um or doing like sprint planning or something yep uh and as, as a result like those those things can uh kind of free up an hour or two here or there that um i'm not writing code or or, or doing one of those planning activities um, so a, cu- a couple things happen, and I think this is probably something that happens. This might be pretty similar. I believe, Ryan, you and I discuss this at sometimes too. Um, some things are like just projects that are like uh, internal, yep. right? That aren't necessarily for um, for release to the to the broader world or to a client, um, but are just kind of projects that we want to make sure are kept up to date and um, and are. 
uh, kind of keep up with the needs of our internal organization. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one way that I sometimes spend that time. Uh, other times doing ops stuff. So uh, I, I work pretty closely with some of our uh, network and, and operations people to make sure that um, to just kind of explore new uh, services, they become available, set up things like continuous integration and, and uh, continuously improve on continuous integration. Wow, that was a that was a, 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 a phrase out of a white paper right there. Um, but uh, I, I guess like that's that's another thing that I do to uh, with some of my time because like I, I have a little bit of background in uh, AWS IAM. I've gone to some of the um, some of the trainings on that. So like uh, even though that's kind of uh, outside of my uh, my particular role day to day, it's something that I definitely spend some time on. Uh, another thing too is just like uh, helping out other engineers, mm-hmm. right? So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, projects that we do that use similar technologies uh, or similar, um, or, or it, perhaps if not similar technologies, at least like parallel stacks, right? So you have a front-end framework, uh, a back-end, and a, a web server and something, and I, I can sometimes help to to get uh, other developers, uh, give them a, a little bit of a perspective on decisions that I've made on previous projects that I've been on and how that may or may not work for their situation. Um, so that's another thing that that time is kind of done with. But also sometimes I just like, sometimes we just hang out after hours and, and, <laughs> and have those discussions anyhow. Um, so it can also be the case when I'm booked uh, a full 40, 40 plus hours uh, on, on a project as well. Yeah, and I think I think my my schedule is pretty much the same as that. So, so uh, I work for our company, but then I'm also at a client site, and so um, my position is a little bit different, maybe than some of the other engineers that I don't work with, but who are employed by my employer. Um, yeah. So, for example, um, it, instead of looking at it in a in like an eight hour day, let's look at it like, like a forty hour week. So I, I, um, I try to stay pretty involved with the company as a whole. So we have a dev center. Uh, I'm not in the dev center usually. I'm usually at the client site. So at least once a week, I'll try to spend some time at the dev center, you know, helping whoever needs help there. Um, I'll try to do some recruiting stuff if possible. Um, so, you know, if, if uh, the recruiters need me to do interviews for people, I'm happy to help them with that. Um, now, as far as working at the client site, um, you know, most of the day is development, but there's still a large portion that's um, meetings with the client of the client, I guess. Very, yeah. very strange. Um, and then there's just a lot of like in between time that doesn't really go into any bucket. So it could be, could be planning, it could be waiting, it could be hoping to get an email from somebody that tells me what they want or how to get access to this thing. Um, <laughs> it could be an email to the cloud, cloud arc team to set up some infrastructure. You know, it could be anything. Um, but there, there's, there's a surprisingly a lot of, uh, holes in my day. So it's not continuous. It's, um, just kind of all over the place. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I could, I could definitely see that. Um, I, I don't usually work on site with clients in the same way that you do. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's kind of a, wh- while we're in the same industry, I think, uh, our businesses operate under, under two different models, yep. uh, which is, which is like super fascinating to me among other things. But, um, that's, that's really awesome that like some of that time is like baked into the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is, it is, it is heavily baked into the day in some days. Um, actually, um, I can tell you this, uh, on Thursday, we actually had a field trip. Now, it's weird to have a field oh, yeah. trip when you're in business. Um, but we, we were actually able to go to one of the um, science innovation labs that my client has. Um, and so apparently they have these all over the place, and this one just happens to be one nearby. Right on. And we were able to take a tour of this lab that had tons of, you know, laboratory equipment. And, you know, they talked to us about it and... You know what they're what they were hoping to get out of our services at um, you know our clients global IT department, and you know it's pretty interesting that um, you know that we have these opportunities to not just write code but also to understand things at a higher and broader level, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
I do have kind of a, a question that's related to this for you guys, and um, uh, we we can always always cut this out should we wish to. But it relates to um, the kinds of like talks and, that you all enjoy most, or are interested in most, or would would like to see more of at meetups. It's just kind of selfish because uh, I'm an organizer at JavaScript Minnesota, and I'm trying to like uh, maybe not necessarily change the the type of talk that we that we get there, mm-hmm. but like to just like understand more a little bit more about this so there's been some some talk about um and i've been kind of thinking on this for some time now too about like how how many of our talks are like often particular to a certain technology or a certain technology stack uh often react related Mm -hmm. um which uh which is fine and cool but um i've also uh heard from from folks that there's like um interest in talks that are a little bit higher level yeah. and might ex- might explain like a, a, a cs topic right mm-hmm. like um what does it mean to to um by the way that's a, that's a logic. lower level by the way well, well <laughs> yeah, it de- depends on your perspective yeah i know um depends on your perspective if you're looking at it upside down it's higher level <laughs> we can draw the diagram later yeah right uh we'll use uml uh and everything will be great i don't think the diagram uh, i'm thinking of can be drawn with uml uh, uh, um, isn't UML Turing complete? Oh man, this is this is this joke is getting out of hand. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, so so like the these examples are like um h- higher level in terms of being more strategic, right? Less, yeah, uh, less technical, less executional, yeah. More, yeah, more process and right theory i guess yeah. right right more process more theory less uh less implementation yep and i think uh like one of these that i that i've had brewing in my brain for ages uh is this i like what we what we talk about when we talk about abstraction yeah and what we talk about when we talk about patterns and abstraction mm-hmm. and how how perhaps like if you come into this field with uh ideas about abstraction from other disciplines um how you might be able to map those those definitions and those those thoughts you might already be having about what it means to abstract logic or abstract behavior uh, into things that can help you reason about code. Um, and I, I don't know whether something like that would be valuable or not, but like are, are those kind of higher higher level slash lower level talks depending on your perspective? Is that is that a thing? Do you, do you guys see talks like that? And if so, what do you think of talks like that when you see them? Yeah, so I can I can answer this question um, in multiple ways. So in my copious amounts of free time, I often find myself on a Friday night listening to not only talks from you know InfoQ or uh, uh-huh. GoTo or um, DevOx. I also find myself listening to non-technical talks from those sources. So things about process, things about ideas, things about concepts. Um, and I find those things quite useful pretty yeah. pretty occasionally. Um, so one of the things that Doherty has started to do, um, so we've, we've always had hack nights slash tech nights, which is kind yeah. of our, you know, learn a thing in a night kind of deal, um, yeah. which is kind of cool. But those are, as you've said, primarily focused around a tech, a specific thing. Yeah. Um, and that has a place. But then um, once a month, um, we have kind of like a, bring people from client sites together day and on these days we have a lunch and learn where we sit and eat lunch but also watch a non-technical talk video um because we don't have any speakers so we just watch somebody else speak but 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 so for example on friday which i think was recently um we watched um something about simplicity i i um I don't know who who is the the speaker, but um, something about simplicity, and basically the talk was like, you know, you can you can do gem install all you want, but every time you do that, you you're you're either trading simplicity for ease of use, or you're buying complexity with um, you know small things. Uh huh. Right. So you know, it it wasn't about a specific technology. He used some examples from it, but. It was ma- mainly talking about how simplicity and complexity sneak into software. For sure. And and so I think I think that has a definite place. People really respond well, especially in our office, to this kind of you know abstract, not specific, siloed discussion. Right on. It's more relatable with 
from different backgrounds and things? Um, so I think I think a key thing to do is to always have examples tie into something people know. So For sure. don't don't okay. don't be afraid to have technical stuff, actually specific stuff to yeah. relate it back to. And I think that's Absolutely. I think that's a key thing and then also don't be afraid to show where exceptions are. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll hear people talking about this great concept and, you know, uh you should totally do this this idea this practice um oh right. something something agile ha <laughs> um yep. but then they don't ever tell you about the exceptions or the or the drawbacks or the, the whatever the cons and right. and i think mm-hmm. those are extremely important to talk about for sure yeah for sure i i really like the idea of like exploring a concept through a technology yeah. so it's not it's not necessarily say about like what asynchronous uh how, how to do asynchronous um asynchronous operations uh and store them in in redux right uh it's like talking about asynchronicity through the lens of of like redux saga or right something. what what, so what does it like, mean to have um state managed right you know it's it's, yeah. it's something at a higher level exactly yep or is it a lower level i don't know uh, i'm so confused you mess you messing with my mind oh uh, it's no, an alternate level oh what you might say it's an extra dimension what hey. that was that was so good yep so good. great yeah well this is this is awesome it's it's fascinating stuff and i think like one of the things that kind of triggered this in my mind in addition to having conversations with some folks at javascript minnesota uh, was when I was out at Deconstruct in mm-hmm. Seattle last a couple weeks ago because all almost all of those talks were basically like why do we do things the way we do things yep. uh, and some of them were through the lens of languages like Elm because Evan Chaplicki was out there and Evan Chaplicki is um, kind of the language designer of Elm uh, the main the main person behind Elm uh, though there certainly are a lot of other people who support it uh, and other other folks who were involved in uh like uh closure and closure scripts mm-hmm. yep. uh, and other other sorts of kind of tools like that some folks who are heavily involved in like the python community and particularly the python functional uh functional programming community so it's cool stuff uh cool stuff to think about and i think we want to bring s- some more of that here so if a obviously open invite to you guys uh if if you want to give one of those talks or uh or a talk of any sort whatsoever really uh at javascript minnesota so if you want if you want in on that uh, you, you know how to find me. I will, uh, I'll like kick punch myself out of the way. So, so you can go and give a talk cause your talks are awesome. Looking forward to it. You guys. Um, I will mention, um, so there, there's this, um, in a lot of businesses, you know, they, they come up with internal ideas and internal strategies and yep. then they, then they start, Oh, this is clever. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's use this to tell our employees how good we are. Right. Um, and, and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, one of the things you have to be careful of, especially when you start talking to people that aren't technical anymore and start getting to the business, yeah. um, is you have to be careful about, or, or especially when they start talking about the business in a leadership sense, so the leadership team, um, yeah. you have to be careful about drinking too much Kool-Aid and making your talk mean nothing. For sure. Um it's not about propaganda. It's about something useful. Yep. Um, and I, I, I sometimes occasionally might see that nearby. So watch out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we will talk offline about this. Hello, offline <laughs> listeners. They made an appearance twice now. I know. Oh, man. They're everywhere. You know, this podcast could be a PWA or a progressive web app. What? This podcast works offline. You can listen to it offline. We stream oh, directly to your local storage. Yep. I, yeah, I was going to say, are, are we using service workers to... Yes, we are. Okay. Well... Straight into your, into your index DB. <laughs> oh, there we go. Ah, yes. So good. So good. Well, I think it might be that time of the show where we start talking about our new Twitter followees. People Woo-hoo! we followed in the past month or so uh what what do you guys say is yeah that, go for is it that, is that good. true do it cool uh so i'm gonna start with uh somebody who presented at javascript minnesota last week uh or last month last week i don't remember what what day it is last week it was last week i swear it was uh a guy named by the name of kent c dodds he came by and gave a lightning talk on uh glamorous which is a uh css uh kind of tool 
for React and React-like front-end applications to kind of uh, manage styles in a way that they're kind of encapsulated with the component. His talk was really cool and it's going to be up on the internet soon as soon as I can kind of edit those videos together um, because video editing is is uh, tricky when you don't have a video editor. Uh, <laughs> um, but his talk was really great and he's a really cool person. Um, so feel free to give him a follow as well. I really like seeing his tweets about the React ecosystem in particular uh, and his kind of work developing a tool for React. So that's kind of neat. Uh, my second uh, followee is Hassan Minaj, who uh, gave the kind of uh, main uh, main monologue at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, seems to be a really awesome human being. Uh, so if you haven't seen that uh, that video, you should check it out. He really uh, kind of knocked it out of the park uh, and seems like a cool person to continue to follow. So that's cool. Uh, and last but not least is SmokyBot, which is a uh, air quality chatbot on uh, Facebook Messenger, which uh, if you have breathing problems like this kid, uh, it's it's a helpful thing to have. Uh, and also the mascot is an adorable little owl. Uh, so so there you have it. That is all for me. Nice. How about I, you, Brian? I'm pretty boring. You know, I've been trying to unfollow a few people on Twitter. It's growing too large. The main the main one here is um, at Head Flyer Brew. It's a new brewery in Northeast Minneapolis opened by my manager and architect on my team so i've been there once or twice oh no way i've heard awesome things about that i haven't made it out there yet i don't uh so i sometimes say i live in northeast but i'm, I'm frequently corrected that i don't live in northeast <laughs> um so so i have i have no idea where i live is what this is what this is saying but um i've like so many folks like it's it's blowing up instagram uh head flyer is really uh really kind of make, making a name for themselves which is pretty neat they have a really awesome design and aesthetic there yeah i really like they have this there's this wall that's painted white and they just have th- very thin weight line drawings on yeah. it and it it's super nice i i quite like it cool so yeah, i think my my manager is one of the three kind of people who started it up um and then my, my architect is the head brewer and his wife kind of manages the business side i think there's fourth person there too right on is involved but i don't know yeah so for the record i did just look up the map and technically speaking head flyer and i are in the same neighborhood they were on nice. opposite ends of the neighborhood so to all of the haters out there who say that i don't live in northeast i officially live in at least as northeast a neighborhood as head flyer so there <laughs> I'll, I'll just say um i did follow one other person oh that's so good um, <laughs> Some of you might know. Um, his name is uh, Matt underscore Petrel, and uh, <laughs> I think he's a friend of the show, in some way or another. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Matt uh, recently reopened his Twitter, and um, he doesn't have enough followers. For some re- well, for some reason, even Ian didn't follow him yet. Huh. Uh, uh, well, he's got four, and three, and the three of us are three of those four. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't know. That's step one. That's step mm-hmm. one. Step one, yes. Yeah, so apparently in a month I, I have grown or something, I guess. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> I've turned into Brandon. Yeah, you have a lot of followers here. Oh, my yep. gosh. You, you beat me. Well, I mean, that's not entirely true because I followed a lot more people than the three I selected. I just selected those three. Yeah. Okay, so um, let me go in a completely random order here. Let me close some of these tabs. So um, some of these people are from um, the Doherty office and um, – so we've got uh, John Frederick. Um, he works in the Doherty office. He, uh, he's a developer. Pretty cool guy. Uh, we've got um, presumably somebody in the Doherty office um, online dingus, which is pretty funny. <laughs> is that? I feel like that might be a John Gruber thing. It, I could be wrong. You, you could be, but I can't, I, I can't confirm or deny, so I don't know. Understood. Um, so then we, we've also got some other people here um, who are not from the Doherty office, so... Um, we've got Zoe Peterson. Um, Zoe, um, I, I didn't meet her much, but she w- uh, attended one of my hack nights um, at the Doherty office. And she's really cool. Uh, she, she actually works at Olsen now. Uh, hey, no way. Yeah. That's, I, know, I know where that is. Yeah, me too. So I thought that was really cool. Love to be ad agency engineers. It's a fun, yeah. it's a fun thing to be. So. Yep. Right on. Yep. So she, that's pretty cool. Um I, I was followed by and now also follow Mark 
impossible. Yeah, Mark Rabansky. Yeah, um, Fronted Masters CEO and person. I've seen... I've seen his Twitter handle show up on Twitter before. Yep, he is a very, very cool human being. Yeah, I should have, I, I should have called him out in my my Twitter thing, but I've been following him for like years. Oh, of course. He only recently, he only recently followed me back. But yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I'm not that cool. I, I, he followed <laughs> me, and I followed him back. So, um, he started it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've got Wasim Chegham, I guess maybe I have no idea where I found these people. I, I don't know what the relevance of this person is, but I followed them. There you go. That's good. I've got uh, DJ Cordhorse. Uh, he's actually done some talks about Flow and um, TypeScript. Nice. Um, which I thought was really useful. And then finally we have Object-Object uh, Object or Zeigenvector, um, who is a um, some kind of manager, I think, at DigitalOcean. Am I making that up? Uh, I believe so. I don't. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know at one point. Yeah, engineering manager uh, at DigitalOcean. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. I knew at one point, John, I was at DigitalOcean, and it sounds like that is still the case, yep. which is awesome. So there you go. I followed so many people. I don't even know what to do with. So good. So good. Ah oh, man. So I now now that I do that I, I was like looking to see if there's anyone else that i followed that i should call out um but it turns out i just followed everyone that you all called out as followers <laughs> so i'm guessing what that means that might not necessarily be the case though actually uh while we're on the topic of ad agency engineers i uh did not recently follow this person but they recently followed me back which is kind of the same thing um his name is charlie uh yelled i've uh, I've been following him for a long time as well. He's a very cool person. He works at an agency in town called uh, Cole McVoy, which is uh, one of the... Uh, they're, they're kind of on the same sort of uh, scale as uh, a lot of other agencies in town, including, but not limited to, Olsen. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily... Uh, like, that's not necessarily a like, number of staff or, or capabilities or anything. It's just kind of like... Um, I would definitely like consider them a uh, peer agency uh, to to uh, a lot of other very highly respected places in town, and I they're also a very highly respected uh, agency in their own right, of course. So uh, he's a cool person, has cool opinions on stuff like Alexa skills and chatbots. So uh, all that said, uh, another cool ad agency engineer, which is interesting because like there aren't, it doesn't seem like there are very many of us because like so many of the uh, ad world meetups are full of like um, traditional folks with traditional advertising roles, right? Oh yeah. Uh, copywriters and designers, which is awesome. I love copywriters and designers, but I, I am not one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so many engineering meetups are filled with people who are like uh, uh, software developers at companies that are not ad agencies. And I, I, I like that's not to say that like ad agency engineers should overrun every every technical meetup no there's that's not the case but um it's just like it's just interesting and it's always kind of uh sparing when you are uh, it's kind of cool uh and not very frequent when you meet somebody else or hear somebody else around the internet who is doing a similar kind of work for a similar kind of company and that's kind of cool awesome yeah that's a good good collection of twitter followees this week yeah we or, did we well, did good you this guys. month episode. you know it wasn't three, though. No, it wasn't three, but it was at least more than one win week. Now, what we should do is start a who do we unfollow on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Oh. That would be that would be negative. I would feel bad. Yeah. It's nothing personal. I want to follow everyone, but Bri it's impossible. Brian, you'd, you'd start with me, wouldn't you? <laughs> Brandon Johnson. Oh, man. Oh, man. Had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that might just be about it for this episode, don't you guys think? Yeah. So, speaking of Twitter, Brandon, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the internet at a lot of places. Most recently, uh, at uh, Brandon underscore MN uh, on Twitter uh, or on Brandon at Mastodon.xyz, which, if you don't know what any of those words mean, check out the most recent episode of... Um, Oh my god, we didn't put that as Ted. a second opinion. That was Ted. Okay, thank goodness. I thought I was losing my mind. I was like, wait, it wasn't a second opinion, was it? The most recent episode of uh, The Extra Dimension, which is... Uh, I should have had this off, off the top of my head, but I do not. Um, 
which is uh, on distributed social networks, including Mastodon, uh, which is a uh, a really cool thing that uh, um, that allows for like distributed ownership of uh, and uh, interconnection between different instances of a certain piece of software, uh, which which allows people to kind of break away from a lot of the centralized ownership of of Twitter. Um, so I put the link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, Brian and I both make appearances, uh, and I think it's it's probably uh, it was a really awesome episode. So if, if you all wanna wanna take a look, uh, that would be the place to find it. Uh, as I said, my name is Brandon on that, and I have two instances out there. Um, but if 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 you want to learn more about that, feel free to reach out to me because I think Mastodon is a really cool thing. Also, I have a website at Brandon.mn. It currently is uh, super sparing and, and gross and times new Romany, but it will get better momentarily. I'm rewriting it in Glimmer, but that's a story for another day. How about you, Brian? You can find me on Twitter at Brian Mitchell. I guess I'm also on Mastodon at Brian Mitchell at Mastodon.cloud, I think. And... My website, which is brianm.me, which hasn't seen an update in months, but I have plans. Just you wait. And of course, you can find me just about <laughs> everywhere, but especially on the Twitter at RyanMar, and of course on my website at ryanrampersad.com, which also has not seen an update recently in about a month, but it's coming soon. We all have plans. That's good. Truly, they will truly. eventually happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that's one of my that's going to be my uh, kind of personal hacking project for today. Uh, I'm going to spend no more than one hour rewriting uh, or writing writing a website using Glimmer components, uh, which is the template engine or not the template engine, the component kind of runtime that uh, underlies Ember yeah. or underlies certain versions of Ember. It's basically the new Ember. Yeah. The trick is it uses TypeScript, which makes me sad. Uh, not not necessarily because there's anything bad about TypeScript. TypeScript and uh, JavaScript annotated with flow types are essentially the exact same thing. Except flow doesn't suck. Exactly, and <laughs> I don't I don't want I don't want to write files that end in .ts. Like .ts just seems like a bad extension to me. Oh yeah. I just I just want it to be pure JavaScript. I don't want to compile my JavaScript with another thing. Actually, okay, so this this is a thing for the post show show. Um, Perhaps, but have you guys heard of prepack? Yeah, of course I have heard of prepack. Oh I my think god! Ryan tweeted about it or something. You, you did, you did. I can't believe I missed that. Oh my I god! I have so I have so many strong opinions about prepack. It is like, it is not cool. What? Well, well um, we almost need to like not talk about it so that we are spurred on to do another show. That's true. We'll we'll save our opinions about prepack for next time. That's a good call. tune in next time for prepack. Uh, Podkit episode thirty prepack. So true, so true. Uh, not guaranteed to be the title. <laughs> no, not at all. All right, well, we'll see you soon. Have a good one.